Support for Talk the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine, and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. We live in a world awash in messages, print, radio, and visual media stream over and around us every waking minute. And in this brave new world, where's the science? Do people trust science anymore? How can we use media to best communicate the results of science to citizens and policymakers? And on our program this morning, we'll be talking um, with a number of folks who will uh, approach that topic from a variety of, of ways, including our guest, Dr. Randy Olson. He'll be in Maine later um, this month for the premiere of his new film, Sizzle, a, globing, a global warming uh, comedy. But um, we're joined in the studio by Brian and Stevie Robbins of Nobleboro and Deer Isle, respectively, two of the fishermen featured in his first film, Randy's first film, Salt of the Earth. And we're glad to have all of you, along with um, Dr. Malcolm Schick of um, the University of Maine, here in the studio with us. So thank you for being here. Um, I'll start with those of you in the studio. Um, give us a little bit of background um, on yourself. Um, perhaps we could um, start with uh, Brian. Give us a little bit of background on yourself. Well, good morning. Good morning. Nice to be here. And I'll have you know, I've got my lucky shirt on. Oh, yeah? Yep. Yeah. I won the spelling bee in eighth grade with this shirt on. It looks like it's about that old. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, by all rights, I shouldn't be referred to as a fisherman these okay. days because right. I, I'm, I'm a former fisherman. I, I, I dried out. Uh-huh. And, reformed, uh, <laughs> reformed. Huh? Reformed, no. Uh, but grew up on the water and learned about uh, learned about working from mm. my brother, mm-hmm. uh, primarily father and grandfather. Um, spent the first part of my life offshore lobstering with my brother. I came ashore in uh, the mid '80s, and uh, God bless the folks at Commercial Fisheries News. They uh, um, saw some something and uh, brought me on board uh, primarily as. Uh, an ad salesman, which I totally despise the idea of, but uh, uh, the perk for me was the ability to uh, write, mm. and I've uh, been uh, writing for Commercial Fisheries News since 1988. And uh, so you started with with Robin. Alden. Yeah, Robin yeah. Alden. God mm-hmm. bless her. And mm-hmm. uh, Rick Rick Martin was general manager then. He's the publisher these days. And Sue Jones has been putting mm-hmm. up with my words now for mm-hmm. 22 years. So God bless him. And um, 
bunch of other things. Uh, these days, I'm uh, uh, freelance, but CFN's still the home team. And, Great. And uh, so never too far away from the water, no Good. matter what happens. Good. Stevie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm 67 years old. I've been in the lobster business on my own since uh, I was eight, I guess. And uh, Not small, eight. He was <laughs> never small. And uh, I went on my own in a outboard, peapod and outboard, and, and uh, then bought a little powerboat when I was a senior in high school. Then uh, tried to go to the Maritime Academy, but uh, after a couple of years, uh, found out I didn't fit in there. So my only other hope at the time of getting any money saved up to go get some substantial go lobstering in was go to the South Pole. <laughs> really? So I went down the South Pole on uh, research vessels. Hmm. And in fact, I've worked with some of the people from the University of Maine. Hmm. Uh, I remember, I guess this has something to do with what you're talking about today. <laughs> I remember uh, Dr. Arthur Weiner, I think his name was. He ended up giving me a, a jacket. It was the first jacket I'd seen that was a flotation jacket. He was from California. Uh, he and I used to go out in the whale boat and fish something similar to lobster traps down through the ice for, uh, well, novice, uh, layman term, ice fish. And one of the days that we were doing it while the hero, the research vessel, was in port, we'd do that. I said to him, uh, what are we doing this for? <laughs> and he said, uh, well, he said, we're looking, I guess in essence, that's what he said. Mm -hmm. And I said, looking for what? He said, I don't know what we're looking for. But he said, it could be as little as the reason why these fish, uh, I guess it was only have white blood corpuscles. Or, mm. I wasn't right up on that part of it, but, but he said we might be, who knows, we might stumble on a cure for cancer. Mm. Mm. That's a reason for uh, regular fishing people or whatever and science to work together in my mind. Mm. Well, thanks. Uh, Malcolm Schick, a little bit about your own background. How did you come to this work in marine sciences? I grew up inside the Beltway and went to college outside the Beltway and then had the opportunity to come up here for my, my first faculty position. Mm -hmm. I've been up here for 35 years now at the university and had no idea until this minute that um, Stevie had been to the Antarctic. Uh, the University of Maine has a 
a lot of people who go down there a lot and do marine research, uh, some of them including a good friend of mine who works on ice fish and these white-blooded fish right now. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about perhaps later. Um, the reason I'm here, as I'm told, is to ride herd on these guys a little bit, but I, I wouldn't presume to try. Uh, really, I'm here just to, to meet them and learn a little bit more about what's going to go on during Randy Olson's visit. Uh, Randy is a, is a friend of some years, and it just seemed time finally to, to get him up to Maine to tell us about some of the things we're going to talk about today. Great. And joining us my phone is uh, Dr. Randy Olson. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Randy. Uh, good morning. Great to be here <laughs> talking to you from Kansas. It's him. It's him. I'd know that voice anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same thing I was thinking listening to the two of you. <laughs> so Kansas, um, what is a marine scientist doing in Kansas? I am here visiting my mother for a few days and getting prepared to come out there to University of Maine to have a traumatic experience. <laughs> Great. Well, you had you had an alternative. I had a, a you know an outline prepared and it started you know very formally. But you had mm. a different way of suggesting how we get started. Why don't you Why don't you put the question to the boys that uh, you wanted me to ask? Oh God. <laughs> uh, if only I could remember what that question oh, well, was. You, yeah, that's Randy. <laughs> you asked. Yeah. You wanted them to talk about their dad. And so, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's start it off like that. Let's um, because that's the other character that's in our film that is not here with us today. But um, let's just begin, Brian, Stevie. Uh, give us a few thoughts about your dad. Mm. Oh, he's still here. <laughs> yeah, he's never far away. Um, I just read something about that recently, but I guess that. Uh, Basically, what it was, it, I'll never. I think it was a note in an obituary page. I read those all the time. <laughs> uh, so, I'll never be gone as long as you're there, or something like that. Mm, mm. I, I really believe that. I, I don't know about the other stuff. I just lost a good friend recently, about my age. One of those terrible things was sickness, and and uh, but one of the last conversations we had was about this, and I'm sure that as long as anybody ever knew him, or mm. uh, was related through family, whatever, that he'll always be here, and uh, I, I guess that's what I'd like to say about that. Mm. And and well, I, Randy can speak to uh, the different venues around around the world. I guess that the Salt of the Earth movie has been shown, but um, wouldn't matter to either of us. I think if if nobody else had ever seen it, the fact that that evening with uh, with Pa sitting with the two of us and and Randy and Eddie um, is captured on film. If, if nobody ever saw it except us, it would still be just golden you know I, my only regret is i wish we'd shut up and let pa talk more you know but uh, uh you wouldn't want him to say anything he didn't want to so i guess mm -hmm. but uh, so, so what was it like growing up you both kind of were on the water with him what were some of the things that that you remember about those early experiences on the water with with your dad patience hmm. and humor mm -hmm. how did the patience play out 
Our father was never a, a rip, a tear, kind of a bullying around sort of fellow. But, and you don't realize these things until you get older. But looking back, if I think about, and Stevie, actually, by the time I was old enough to really get serious about working, that's when power was kind of winding mm -hmm. down on the water. But Stevie actually went seining, heron seining with him for years. He can speak to that. But if I think about it, now, from sometime in the spring to sometime in the fall when the seining got over with, um, I don't know when my father slept because you were up all night looking for fish. And when daybreak comes, well, you don't get a free pass, you know. If you didn't catch any fish, you still get the oil bill to pay, uh, buy groceries, so you go haul your lobster traps, you know. And that's, that's how he lived. And uh, so he was always busy, but he uh, it just... Things came when they came, mm -hmm. and he never lost his sense of humor. Mm -hmm. That the thing I remember about when he passed away was, you're in that kind of daze that you're in, um, sitting in the front row afterwards, and folks filing by, and you know, uh, wishing you well, and hugging you, and shaking your hand. But the thing that I kept hearing, kept hearing, was, your father was the funniest guy I ever knew, you know. And and there's been uh, uh, people on that island that made, you know, made a lot of money, uh, accomplished whatever. The day that Pa passed away, uh, the day of his service, he packed the house. Mm -hmm. They went right out into the streets, and mm -hmm. uh, he's that was because he made a lot of people feel good. Mm -hmm. Stevie? Uh, Brian always gets to me. <laughs> uh, I was staying in with them, and uh, I saw a kid my age, 14 or something like that, have an epileptic fit. I never did figure out after whether it was uh, uh, psychosomatic, <laughs> but I started having headaches. <clears throat> And went on two, three weeks, and I, had, uh, I told my father, I says, I don't know, but I got to go to the doctor. Well, we didn't go to the doctor very much. I don't think we ever went. <laughs> but uh, he said, what's the trouble with you? And I said, uh, headaches. He said, all the time? And I said, well, no, mostly just uh, if I, when I shake my head. Uh, he said, don't shake your head. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> there you go. Next. <laughs> Randy, how did you, how did you meet um, this family? Um, what was your connection to them? <laughs> I don't know. I'm still, still laughing about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Don't um, shake your head, Doc. <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> uh, let's see. How did I meet them? Um, you know, kind of long story. I, I had been living in Australia in the 1980s and studying marine biology and uh, lived on an island there for a long time. And a lot of fishermen came by that island called Lizard Island up in the north end of the Great Barrier Reef, and, and night after night they would come ashore, and we uh, there was a big barbecue pit there. We'd cook up 
fry up their fish that they caught and um, sit around and drink beer, and fishermen would tell these amazing stories of all the things they'd been up to out on the high seas. Um, and I just kind of developed this belief that fishermen are the greatest of storytellers. And as I got interested in filmmaking, um, when I became a professor at the University of New Hampshire, I decided to start developing this kind of side interest of making some films, and I knew at the core of good film, films were good stories, and so um, started checking around to see if there were any local fishermen that might be able to tell some good stories in the same way that I'd seen in Australia. And we found a couple of guys in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, that we did a short video with on the summer of 1990, and won an award, believe it or not, for that short video, which was, was not a good film, um, but somebody was very generous to us. And the next year, then, we decided to go up the coast of Maine and start looking at a bigger crowd of fishermen in search of anybody who could tell us some good stories. And we started hearing these two names over and over again of Ryan and Stevie Robbins. And everybody said, There's, those are the two guys you really need to talk to. And then as I tell at the beginning of the film itself, uh, we went up there and met with Brian, and he was suspicious. Wouldn't even let us talk to Stevie, but uh, no way. he let me. <laughs> he let me give him a copy of the five-minute video lobsters that I'd done the year before, and about a week later, he called me up, and he said, um, we watched your film. It's so bad, we figure you, you must be harmless. We'll, we'll get to do this thing with you. <laughs> and that was the start of it all, and then they started giving me orders about, you show up here at this place this time, and we're going to give you this much of our time and energy, and they brought their dad along with them, and we met at, uh, I think, Stevie's little fishing shack there, right in the water in Stonington. And we had no idea what we were up to and just sat down with them and let the camera start rolling. And I thought I was going there to get some little one-minute snippets of clever one-liners. And um, I remember thinking all night long this wasn't going the way I was hoping it was going to go because they were telling these longer three- to five-minute stories. <laughs> we never did any one-minute anything. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, and then we went back, and a couple of days later, I started watching what, what we got. And, you know, it's one of the great experiences in my life of, of realizing you, you, you went after an apple, and you didn't get an apple, you got an orange. And, you know, it's a, a really great orange. And what I, I didn't get the little film. I, what we got was something completely different. And I had no idea at that point on how to make a film. I hadn't been to film school. And so, you know, in the end, this this film of our Assault of the Earth, there's kind of two parts to it. There's there's the job I did as a filmmaker, and then there's the job those guys did as performers. And their side of it was an A++. It was unbelievable. They told these incredible stories and opened themselves up. Uh, my side, it was kind of a D plus, <laughs> having no filmmaking experience. I just did the best that I could have, just trying to glue it all together into something that people could watch and hopefully not throw myself too much in front of it all. And the result of it is a piece that, that really, I think, stands the test of time, and, and I've talked a lot about in the last year to different people about the term shelf life, and I've come to realize that it, the, really the kind of um, ageless element in films that gives them great shelf life is things like humor and emotion, these, these human things. You know, you can make a film that's full, full of information, and people watch it a little bit and they'll get tired of it, but when you've got something that really is, is genuine human elements of, of human or humor and emotion... Uh, yeah, it goes all the way back to the Greeks. That's what it all started with, uh, tragedy and comedy. And that's what we got in this film. They they told these stories, and some of them were tragic, and some of them were incredibly comic. And, and 20 years later, you can still watch it, and I, I think that's what will be the case when we watch it there at the University of Maine. Everybody will see it. 
still holds up. And I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns um, here on WERU. We're talking with Dr. Randy Olson, a scientist and, and filmmaker. And uh, the film that uh, um, Randy was talking about and features um, Brian and Stevie Robbins um, is called Salt of the Earth, and that will be uh, shown at the Collins Center for the Arts at the University of Maine on Wednesday, September 22nd at 7 p.m., and you can get tickets um, up there at the university. Um, a little later on, we'll open up our phone lines, and you may have some questions or uh, comments as we talk about this broader subject of how do we communicate science, um, and how do we use film to do that? How do we use stories and emotion um, to do that? Um, but a little later on, we'll open up the phone lines. I think we also have Ed Ladecker on the phone with us. Uh, Ed was an assistant um, or, or helped with the making of this film. Um, Ed, are you there? Yes, I am. Great. And you're in Kansas as well? Actually, I'm in Western Missouri. Western Missouri. That, uh, He's again, supposed a, to be in Kansas. A, a great place for a marine scientist. Um, tell us about what you remember about making um, this film. Well, this is a pretty special moment for me because I haven't talked to Stevie or Brian for almost 20 years now. So um, both those guys had a huge impact on my life, and I know Randy had missed um, a little part of the story, which I always found was very humorous in our ability to try to reach Stevie to talk to him. Um, he was pretty negative about talking to anybody at the press at that time because I think some of the negative publicity that came out of some of those articles. But Randy had sent me down to the uh, wharf area there at uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, to uh, greet uh, Stevie when he came in with his crew, and it was about 4 a.m., um, in the morning, and they've been offshore for a number of days at that point. And here I saw this huge man coming with his crew um, up to the dock. And I remember the intense look on Stevie's face about not wanting to talk to anybody at that point. And I think uh, it was the two dozen glazed donuts that broke the conversation between me and him at that point. Randy was not with me that morning. Um, he thought it'd be better if I just went down by myself. And at that point, I think uh, once BB saw that I was not only bringing donuts, but also helping their crew unload a little bit, getting involved with them, um, Stevie and I had a unique bonding, I think, at that point. And from that point forward was the uh, meeting up at, the, uh, up at the, the fishing shack the following week. Um incredible opportunity to meet two guys that are very passionate about their world and uh, it inspired me actually I am currently a filmmaker here in the Kansas City area and uh, have worked on a number of projects for National Geographic History Channel PBS and it has uh, taken me down a path of respect and uh, you know, great feelings towards the Robbins family they had a huge impact on my life and um, Mm. Uh, Stevie, what do you remember about um, those early meetings and, and the making of the of the of the video? I had forgotten about New Hampshire. Uh huh. Uh huh. Till right now, I'm kind of ashamed to admit that. But that is, he said it just like it happened. Yeah. Huh. Oh Lord. Well, I guess. Uh, been offshore there three, four, whatever days, and always something, you know, things pretty intense. And times we get in there and so forth. 
just a matter of trying to get home. And someone come talk to him. <laughs> but he had a way about him. Both of these fellows did. Good way, talking to people. Get you to feel like you'd like to talk, like to speak to somebody. It was almost like going to a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Which I should might suggest that you two might look into. <laughs> Brian, what do you remember about some of that that early contact? Um, and and what made you believe that you know um, you should be part of this process? Good question. Because in the beginning, it was no way. I once once. Um, when I began at Commercial Fisheries News, I didn't get out much before mm. then. You know, mm. I'd gone further aboard the boat with with Stevie than I had by land. You know, um, the uh, birth of Commercial Fisheries News opened you up to, uh, you know, uh, folks like uh, advertising agencies on Madison Avenue. Okay, and about the about, about the fifth time that somebody had put me on speakerphone and had me repeat stuff. You know, hey, get a load of this. You realize that you know you that whole the the main thing was a you know, to some folks a novelty act, and there were people at that point in time now too of course, but at that point in time, I'd already had my fill of people that were making a living um, as quote unquote main humorous mm -hmm. or whatever, and I'd grown up you know on on the island where we grew up on Deer Isle there were storytellers and musicians and, and you know natives that were funnier and more talented than anybody you know in the official world of entertainment but uh anyway i think one of the first things i said to randy was if you're looking for you know saturday night at moody's dino you know we're not gonna that's just not us but um randy was and, and Eddie too, those guys. Uh, Randy can say his part, and it was a D plus. But no, Randy was straight A's. And both of those guys, they just—I don't know how they did it. I, I afterwards thought they were maybe aliens or something, and they put some sort of you know shot us with rays or whatever. But they just seemed to become part of where we were. The the night that we were at Stevie's shop, they're real people. Yeah, mm. they're just, they were. Mm. It wasn't, you figured they were going to show up with berets and, you know, <laughs> right? In fact, you, didn't you wear a beret? No. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. You had an eye patch. But, uh, you know, and cut and, uh, Mr. Robbins, could you, you know, turn your head just so, so to catch more of the, you know, the bronze, the bronze on your, on your cheeks or whatever. The, but It didn't uh, happen that way. There was none of that. Mm. And uh, we just ended up just sitting down to the shop and hanging out that night. And that's, mm. that's what's captured. Um, mm. Randy might ask the occasional question, and it wasn't a la-da-da-da. He was having a conversation with you. Mm. We all just had a conversation. Mm. But um, the, uh, the only path that... He, he almost lost me right in the beginning because I think that the name of the short film that he gave us was Lobsters, Lobsters with a... T-A-H. Anything with it. I don't, I don't want to promote, like, um, you know, I, I 
don't believe in violence of any kind. But if somebody was to go down, you know, Route 1 and, like, you know, start knocking down the signs that all ended in AH, because usually the folks that put those signs up don't talk that way, really. Yeah. But uh, the lobstaff thing kind of got me. But the movie itself was all right. You could tell his, he had a hat. Mm. And uh, that's H-E-A-R-T, hat. <laughs> Um, one of the other questions that he suggested, Randy suggested that we, we Don't start listen with. to him. Well, I, you know, um, was uh, what do you think makes for a good cook on board a boat? A brain. A brain? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, rather just by luck or whatever, we never seem to find that. <laughs> we never had any. Well, no, you know who we had? You know who I. I, I I'll bounce it off. Shirley Neville. Shirley Neville. Exactly. God bless him. Shirley Neville was the greatest cook we ever had. But he wasn't half. He was a great man. Loved him. He wasn't half as entertaining as some of the other ones who couldn't cook with. No, a, I'm full of the brain business. But <laughs> oh my lord, I don't. Well, <clears throat> I went to the South Pole on research ships, and I went shipping. Um, I knew a lot of. Uh, chief cooks, because you always want to get on the good side of the chief cook. Boy, every living one of them is like a cast from uh, AA. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. From a, I name one. I was in Hawaii. He was about six foot seven. He was a uh, Oh, what is the name of the Indian tribe in Florida? Seminole. Yes. And he shook so bad that he couldn't make out the manifest out of the stuff for the ship. And I saw him, new man. They had strike. They had all kinds of trouble about getting people. And I said, uh, how the devil did you ever get this job? Uh, I, you know, he's had a terrible try and get dried out and... Uh, he said, I used to blow, blow up cars for the union. <laughs> anyway. Moving right along. I remember. But all those cooks <laughs> was of similar nature. We, so you, you, we, we, even we, the ones we had going offshore. We had Bradford, uh, who was, who was uh, Stevie's uncle-in-law. Bradford Weed, former uh, merchant uh, seaman. And uh, Bradford was something else. Uh, did you ever see Popeye with Robin Williams? Yes. yes. Honest to God, I'm telling you right now, mm -hmm. right down to the, the messing with the pipe. Well, that was Bradford. And, and we could, you know, this, uh, by the way, folks, this is uh, WERU 89.9 <laughs> FM. Uh, we'd be here the rest of the day talking mm -hmm. about Bradford. Mm -hmm. But I remember one time, you know, saying to Stevie, why do we take Bradford? Steve said, I know it. He says, he, 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 can't, he can't cook. No, he can't. And he, and he won't come out on deck and help splice rope or anything. No, I know it. And he knows how to. Yes, he does. He, if he tried to get him to ban lobsters. He ends up, you know, them hanging off his pants or something. He can't, you know, he won't, he won't do anything. Well, I know. Why do we take him? Well, he's funny. <laughs> and he was. Yeah. 
Good. Well, we'll just remind listeners that uh, they're tuned to WERU, as uh, Brian Robbins just said. And uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Randy Olson, a filmmaker, uh, his uh, associate, Ed Lidecker, both on the phone. We're going to let Ed go in just a minute so we can open up our phone lines if, in case you who are listening want to call and offer your comments or questions. In the studio with us, we have... Stevie Robbins of Little Deer Island and Brian Robbins now of Nobleboro. What did you say? A refined fisherman? No, a a reformed fisherman. Reformed. Reformed, right. um, Ed, uh, we're gonna, we are going to let you go just to fo- uh, fill up the fo- um, free up the fo- phone line. What what else would you say um, as a conclusion before we um, let you go? You know, you, you can always that. call in, Ed. <laughs> yeah, I can call in. Yeah, one of the guy, one of the comments made, I think, was the conversation about fishermen storytellers, and we have the same uh, experience in Randy and I's life and that is being around Midwestern farmers. We related to Stevie and Brian at that point, I think, about our concern, um, about our interest in listening the way that farmers, their their land and the way that they farm their crops is very similar to the way that lobster fishermen fish the ocean. And being involved in conservation and understanding what these wonderful pieces of property and this wonderful piece of water can provide, um, I think that the relationship was developed there because of our respect for Midwestern farmers as well as the fishermen uh, from Maine, Um, and it was wonderful. Stevie and Brian were just uh, one of the most incredible times of my life was meeting those two guys and their family, their father, and uh, so I think their respect for the ocean is very admirable. And um, hopefully the trend will continue. Great. Well, thanks for being with us, Ed. And we'll see you guys right. next week. Right on, Eddie. Great. And Randy Olson, you're still with us uh, by phone. Perhaps you could um, uh, say a little bit about this notion of respect for this tradition, this lobstering t- tradition. You started out um, thinking about these these uh, uh, things in Australia. Um, and Ed just talks about uh, farming. Is that something that we're in danger of, of losing in in our culture? This this um, the traditional ways of knowing and the traditional ways of doing things. Are we in danger of losing those things? Well, let me let me begin. Um, I guess Ed's maybe hung up, but um, with a few words about him, it, it wasn't a coincidence that he was part of this production. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, if you look at the the end credits on the movie and all the early films they did with him, the credit that I gave him officially was as cultural liaison. <laughs> um, and that was his designated duty. And, and in fact, he's, um, you know, if, if he has his biggest skill in life is just people skills. He's, he's a great, great people person. He um, had worked for about 10 years as a personnel director for one of the cities in the suburbs of Kansas City. And that's what everybody knows him as, is somebody that really understands people well and knows how to communicate. And that was one of my highest priorities in the beginning. And in fact, you know, I sit here wondering, Every documentary that involves interviewing people ought to have that position as part of their crew, cultural liaison. It's one of the mistakes that they make. They don't really accept that this is such an important part of the process, is somebody that really can reach out and connect with people and com- communicate with them. And, of course, that's what's at the core of everything I do nowadays in this topic of science communication. And the science world is terrible when it comes to people skills. So it was not coincidence that I recruited Ed for this stuff early on and that he connected with it and, and had a lot of fun with it. And um, yes, the, the, the 
overall message that I have that I'll be talking about my whole visit there at the University of Maine, um, it's about the two things, the sciences and the humanities. And that's sort of what most studying consists of from the beginning of time. And these days, the sciences are booming, actually, even though you'll read all this literature, all these articles about how, oh, people aren't smart enough about science. Well, a ton of money goes into sciences, especially on college campuses. But one of the things that's happening is that the sciences have broken free from the humanities and kind of left them in the dirt in some ways. In a lot of campuses, the humanities are actually collapsing as the science departments continue to expand. And the science world is hitting a, it's going to hit a brick wall. It is right now. And that's what's happening with all these problems with the communication of science. They're, they're losing track of these human elements. And the solution to everything that the science world needs in terms of communication rests right in this movie, Salt of the Earth. It's about trying to find these human elements of humor and emotion that, that people can relate to and connect with. And when the science becomes so sterile, when it's so robotic, so completely devoid of anything human, most people in the general public just do not take any interest. And scientists have a hard time believing that because they, they find science so fascinating that they just feel certain that everybody must share their passion for it, but they don't. And I, I was brought in last spring to NASA's headquarters in Maryland and gave a big talk, and one of the guys in the question and answer afterwards was saying this, about we make these films here and they're so full of the joy and the splendor of science, and I just cut him off and said, that, that doesn't matter. Most people in the public don't care about the joy and splendor of science. They need you to somehow relate it at a human level, and that, I think, is a lot of what drew us in the beginning to, to get to know these folks, um, just those human qualities. Uh, uh, Brian, maybe start with you and, and get comments from Stevie as well. What were some of the reactions that you heard um, after people saw Salt of the Earth? And, and what about this connection, um, the, the human connection that, that Randy's talking about? Um, I know Randy actually uh, related some stories to us about um, whether it was a, a showing with um, a bunch of farmers in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and jump right in here, Doc, if you hear me uh, misquoting you. Uh, I wouldn't want to misquote you. Um, I think they might have had Wouldn't a... Sh- the first time. <laughs> I think they had a showing maybe of uh, with some retirees on a cruise ship up in the North Sea or something. It was a, I mean, all kinds of settings. And uh, I remember that first year uh, it played on public television um, here in Maine. And uh, they ran it at Fish Expo in Boston that year. And doesn't matter i mean it, it, it yeah it, it was about it was about lobster fishing mm-hmm. in maine but that's almost the smallest part of the equation mm-hmm. it was the the heart and the emotion and the feeling and the openness and uh, randy just it was it was an evening with um family and mm-hmm. and friends you know uh talking and and uh, everybody and randy's told us that no matter where he showed it people said yeah well, what about young people that, that you know, you might encounter um, relatives of yours or young people at Stonington High School who say they want to go fishing? How do, how do you convey some of what might have been in the film um, or some of your lives, you know, um, to a young person coming up that makes them say, I want to go fishing, but I also um, want to, to kind of have a whole life? And it seems like each of you in your own way have had a whole life. It's not just about going fishing. That's right. Stevie? Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think in that film, when I told about the the guy on the yacht buying the lobsters, mm. and uh, 
uh, he he said, well, uh, what do they weigh? And I didn't have any scales, so I said, just judge it and like that. I said, I'll pass them up and you judge it. And then that's when he said that salt of the earth thing there. You know, I thought it was funny, that's why he said it. But then I got thinking, and it really touched me. And I think, <clears throat> I, I almost know that people come down, I've had people come down board that boat uh, when I was selling lobsters in the summer from up northern part of the state of Maine. They say, I know you, I seen you in that movie. And, uh, but the ones that would talk a little bit, but it, it, it touched them too, cause maybe it spoke a little bit for them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. We do need people to speak for ourselves sometimes, don't we? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the final note is uh, there was hope at the end, you know. I I haven't watched the movie for a while, and once I knew about the R&O thing, I've, I've, I've made a point not to watch it. I'm not going to see it until uh, the 22nd. That's September 22nd. Yeah. Um, at the Calling Center, <laughs> University of Maine in Arno. Tickets, $10. <laughs> um, no, I, I know what Stevie says at the end of the movie. I was there. Mm -hmm. I certainly remember it. I can't watch it without, I'm trying to make a fool out of myself in public. But what he says at the end is beautiful. And it's uh, a note of hope that anybody can grab a hold of and say, yeah, mm -hmm. maybe so, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And, and Randy, you're, that's certainly, I, I would imagine, one of your hopes as a filmmaker is that you're conveying not um, just gloom and doom. You're trying to convey that there's a, there's a way out of this, and it's the way of uh, you know people, honest people doing their work and, and uh, uh, making things go. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> that's our only hope is just the, the human spirit and <clears throat> the strength of, of people like that that have... That sort of character, and just you were saying, um, we do need other people to speak for us sometimes. I know, as Ed was saying, this film has just been, it's the best thing I've ever done as a filmmaker. Um, I've done a bunch of other things and had a movie on Showtime and been at big film festivals and all those kinds of things, but um, there's nothing with the, the strength and sincerity of it, uh, of anything I've done that, that compares with this film. And, and one of the interesting things, as I said in the beginning, it's not a glossy film. It's not heavily produced. And unfortunately, film... No makeup. <laughs> there was no makeup. There was no makeup exactly <laughs> that I knew of. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, that's one of the, the shortcomings or one of the, I don't know, quirks of film and, and video is that it is a superficial medium and it tends to push people in a superficial direction. And I... I ended up going to film school in Los Angeles at the University of Southern California in 94 after I made this film. And so I've been through, I've lived in Hollywood for 15 years. I've watched it from the very inside of it, and I've seen how the whole process works, and it pushes all these people towards superficiality. And in fact, one of the things that hit me really hard was, <clears throat> that I remember so distinctly, was the three or four days after 9-11 happened. And catastrophic event that stunned the whole country, and all of a sudden, all the major television shows just dropped all the pretenses and all of their usual glossy production and you got about three or four days of a lot of the hosts just sitting there with no script nobody 
you know, planning what to say. They were just as honest and sincere as possible. And all of a sudden, for a moment, it, it almost resembled this film of ours, Salt of the Earth, because it was so completely honest and candid. And then within about three or four <clears throat> days, everybody got back to the usual business and putting all the teams of producers to work, making everything as superficial and fast-paced and fast-talking and glossy as, as it usually is. So it's very hard to, to get that stuff that's really sincere. And when it happens, it, it tends to not look very attractive. It's, it's not all super smooth and, and polished and things like that. But it is very powerful and genuine. And, and again, that's why this film of ours you know, hasn't been some blockbuster at movie theaters across the country. It's a quirky little thing, but the fact is it, it stood the test of time. And that's, I think, what, what dawned on me was last spring, um, Dr. Schick there got in touch with me about the idea of my coming to the University of Maine and showing my other two movies, Lockadotos and Sizzle, which I, I do at lots of college campuses. Um, and you know what? I've never even shown Salt of the Earth on a college campus. There, I, for that same reason, I, I don't really want to trot it out there because I care so much about it. But for this event, I said, you know, <laughs> the only way I'm coming to your campus is if we set aside one separate evening to do something special because, you know, it dawned on us this is going to be 20 years next June since we made this film. So it's only natural that this all comes together, and I think it's going to be a wonderful evening. Great. I'll, I'll give some more details about that, and, and then I want to do ask you about Sizzle, um, one of your uh, more, more recent films, and how you've um, used some of those Hollywood techniques, I guess, that you picked up um, to make a film that, that compels people to understand some of what's happening to us. But I do want to listen to our phone numbers in case there are listeners who would like to participate in this morning's conversation here on Talk of the Towns as we talk with Dr. Randy Olson, Brian Robbins, Stevie Robbins, and uh, Malcolm Schick. Um, one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. That's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Or locally four six nine zero five zero zero. Randy, tell us a little bit about Sizzle and, and how you come came to make that film. Well, let's see. If um, if Salt of the Earth is the most sincere project I've done, I would have to say Sizzle is about the most insane project <laughs> that I've done to date. Um, it is. <clears throat> it's a combination of three genres, a mockumentary, a documentary, and reality. And I had made a, a movie in 2006 called Flock of Dodos that was about the controversy over the teaching of evolution and intelligent design. And it was on Showtime and at uh, the Tribeca Film Festival, and people enjoyed it. And a lot of people started asking me, can't you do something similar for the subject of global warming? It seems to be a big controversy as well. And for a year and a half, I couldn't think of anything. And, and then I went and saw this incredible movie, um, uh, Borat, and that gave me inspiration, and so I came up with this premise, which is, what if, what if I interviewed some world's experts, very serious scientists and people like that, and if I had one of my members of my crew was actually a comic actor who was pretending to be a cameraman, but also would end up pretending to be a, a global warming skeptic, someone who didn't believe global warming, and so if in the middle of my interview I'd have this guy just spur of the moment interrupt the interview and start arguing with the expert. And that is what is at the core of the movie. Um, and we did a dozen of these interviews, and each time we had an, an extra cameraman off to the side who was filming the whole thing. And the poor scientists and the experts had no idea what was going on. And the next thing they knew, there they were haggling with my cameraman over whether or not the cameraman was accusing them of stealing money from the government to get rich, <laughs> claiming that this is a crisis with global warming. And it kind of turned into a goldmine of material, and then... Around that, we eventually crafted a story with some comic actors and all sorts of things, and it all comes together into a very crazy movie, but actually a very relevant movie because it presents the two sides of this controversy about whether global warming really is the crisis that 
some people think it is. And the movie was released in 2008 and was absolutely pooped on by the science world. They, a lot of scientists said, how dare you even question whether or not this is a, a crisis and said that there is no debate whatsoever. But then last November, there was a gigantic incident called Climate Gate, where the climate skeptics stole a bunch of emails and claimed to have exposed the science community in conducting their fraud and things like that. And ever since then, the scientists have at least finally now been forced to concede that there, there really is a lot of public resistance to this idea of global warming being a crisis. And there is a debate. You know, There may not be one in the academic science world, but in the broader public it is a wide-open debate, and <clears throat> my film ends up being one of the only films now that presents the two sides of it. Um, unlike Al Gore's movie, which was a great movie in its own right, but it was very one-sided. It just simply said that there's no debate, no discussion. We've got a crisis, and it's four years later now, and almost half of the public really just isn't buying it for global warming. It's a, it's a huge problem for the science world and has to be looked at more honestly. So how do, how do we, as a society, get at that question of, of resistance to um, science? How do you, in your films and, and your book, um, how do you address that, that resistance to science? Well, I'm going to a giant workshop at the end of this month of 60 supposed great thinkers in Washington, D.C. that are going to spend the whole day basically trying to answer that question. How in the world do we get the public to buy this argument that the scientists are putting forth because they certainly are not listening to it? And once again, the answer comes back to our funny little movie, Salt of the Earth. That's where the answer is. It's in these human elements. It's in, it's in getting people to trust you. It's in sincerity. It's in being able to make media that people really will trust the voice that they hear, and then once they trust the voice, they'll begin to follow leadership. But until you trust people, there, there is no leadership, and the science folks just don't seem to understand that. So you have to establish the the proper voice to begin with. And there have been some great books in recent years. There's a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell that really gives a lot of the basics of that, how quickly people make up their mind. They, they hear a voice and within five to ten seconds. They decide for themselves whether they trust that voice or don't trust it. And when it's a voice that sounds like it's been manufactured by a whole committee that's trying to, let's see if we can get our message out and convince the public of this or that, the public's smarter than that. They hear those voices and they shut down. And, and unfortunately, an awful lot of that came through with the Al Gore movie. You, you could feel the sense of a whole bunch of environmentalists getting together and saying, let's have Al say this and that, and let's have him try and tell some funny jokes so we know he's a human being and tell some stories about health problems of his family members, and that'll, that'll warm people up. And, and people are smarter than that. They, they're wise to that kind of manipulation. So it's a big challenge, but you know, it's potentially the biggest challenge we face if global warming really is the crisis that a lot of the science community thinks it is. Mm, thanks thanks for that response. We do have a, a phone call. Let's uh, go to the phone caller and ask them to identify themselves, at least uh, where they're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, this is Melody. I'm from Sedgwick. Um, I, I just want to get back a little bit to salt of the earth and what you were talking about. And I think it's all about authenticity. And in this, my husband and I have been making documentaries since the late 70s. And we've run the gamut from lower production to higher production. And the ones that are really meaningful and still stay with us and are meaningful to other people are those really authentic ones that deal with the authenticity of the common person. Um, and as far as showing in the college students, I think they need, this is a time when they need to understand that and see that and understand what that authenticity is all about. I want to commend you for showing that, your, your film at Orno, and I'm hoping that I can see it because I haven't seen it. Great. Well, thanks so much for that phone call. 
1-866-625-9378 if you've got a comment as we talk about communicating science. And uh, in the studio with us are Brian Robbins and Stevie Robbins. And on the t- telephone is Dr. Randy Olson, a filmmaker who made Salt of the Earth. Um, you didn't try to be authentic. You were authentic in, in, in how you do that. Um, as you think about um, the messages about science or the messages about fishing, um, you know, the, where, the, where the lobstering um, situation is, where the fishing um, situation is, um, how do we help people understand where we are as a, as a society and a, as a, a society that still needs fish, still needs those crops that the Kansas um, boys are talking about? How do we get that? Tell what you believe to be the truth and help for the, hope for the best. Mm. Mm. So, so what? So what? What are some of the messages that you think people need to hear from someone like yourself about what what the truth is in terms of where the fishing situation is these days? Uh, if you really want to know, you have to see. Cause one picture, mm. in it. so that's one of the best things to go by. And you couple what you see with the history as best you can find out about it to see why you are where you are. And then you practice that for an example. Mm -hmm. Years ago, and I don't like to tell this, but it's true, when I was a kid, we used to drain the oil into the bottom of a boat and then pump it out of the bilge overboard on the way down the bay. I've seen that done plenty of times. What a foolish thing. We didn't know any better. Uh, That's all I know. Well, somehow, not everybody did it either, but a lot. Well, I hate to think what that would do to them little lobsters in certain stages, for example, a fish or anything else, but we learned not to do that. So it'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? To, not silly is a, the mm. wrong word, but for an awful thing to go back to that. And uh, I think that the pollution in the rivers that we've, I guess, we've cleaned up quite a lot. The, the protection of the species, in the case of lobster, like uh, up in the measure and allowing the lobster to breed again, again before we sell them, and the V-notch, and uh, all those things combined uh, prove a point. You got to see it. Uh, if if you just hear it, maybe maybe you don't hear the right thing. Mm. Mm. So it seems like there's a there's a story here around um, you getting to know science scientists. I mean, you did it um, when you went to the South Pole. Yes, I did. Um, and them getting to know you. Yes. Um, and that connection bring, brings two forms of knowledge together. Yes, sir. Right. Right. And I think that's really um, what um, 
you know, Randy, you're you're trying to do in your films. You're trying to bring the authentic, real life together with what you know as a scientist and what other knows a, know as a scientist, and trying to bring those things together in a way that people then they see the picture that uh, Stevie's talking about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think we have one more phone call. We've got time for one more phone call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, thanks for the show. I really look forward to seeing the movie. Um, I had a thought about how you can get people to believe things. Uh, on the one hand, it's true what I saw on the bumper sticker. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, I think it's also true that people can only believe uh, what they can only believe to a certain point before their fear and panic of, about the attendant consequences of what they're being asked to believe takes over. And no matter how true the thing might be that you're presenting and how many buttressing arguments you may have, people won't be able to believe it if it is so scary to them that they cannot find a place for it in their in their uh, relation to the their their life in the present moment. That's you a great point. Me? That's a great point, and mm -hmm. we do have to close it there okay. because we're running out of time. But I think people okay. are nodding their heads to say yes. yes so. That's a, that's a that's a true so statement. So humor, for example, perhaps might help. You got it. Uh, and positive solutions. Great. Thank you okay. so much. And uh, Randy, we'll look forward to seeing you in Orono. Malcolm Schick, could you just give us the, the dates and, and uh, times for the uh, showings? Yes, it'll be a three-day extravaganza on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of September. On Tuesday morning at 11 will be the screening of Flock of Dodos. And that evening, or that afternoon at 4 p.m., there'll be a lecture by Randy on the topic of his book, Don't Be Such a Scientist, on this matter of science communication to the people. Wednesday evening is the gala event, in a way, uh, the screening of Salt of the Earth, followed by a chance of some storytelling and then a chance to meet the stars and Randy. And Thursday, we have uh, the sizzle screening, the main premiere at 4 o'clock, followed by some discussion and a public reception for anyone who would like to be there. So all of this is the three days, 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Great. Thanks so much. Um, and uh, thanks to, to uh, um, Randy Olson, who's on the phone. Uh, thanks to uh, Stevie Robbins and Brian Robbins, who were with us. Thank you. Uh, Thank last, you. last word. Let's fill the place up and just hang out for a while up in Orono. We'll see you folks there. Great. <laughs> thanks so much. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks once again to our guest, Dr. Randy Olson, Ed Ledecker, um, his associate, cultural ambassador, I think he called him. Absolutely. Brian Robbins and Stevie Robbins and Malcolm Schick from the University of Maine. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering. And stay tuned for Joel Mann and On the Wing. Um, Joel Raymond on, on the Wing. I'm sorry. Get my Joels mixed up. This is Ryan Beard, your host for Talk of the Hounds, wishing you a good morning. <laughs>